You are listening to Proudly Resents. Oh, reason. I, I can't even hear you. Well. Hi, this is Sammy Wazell. Uh, proudly Resents. The Cult Movie Podcast. The Adam's Biggest Men Show. To all you Proudly Resents listeners out there, just remember, you can't touch on hospitality. I want it. So ProudlyResents.com, I'm here with Chuck Sklar, and as you can tell, we both have that monotone voice, so we have a programming note. Go on your iPhone and <laughs> put this on 1.4 speed, and we'll sound normal. We'll go by a lot faster. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> I did a Todd Barry program. Oh, I see. Did it work? It's so much better. Well, he's huge now, so let's let's knock on wood. <laughs> knock oh, on hopefully wood that'll work for me. We're in Chuck's studio. Uh, studio. Where's Chuck's studio efficiency studio apartment? The beautiful home office. Home office of uh, Chuck Sklar. Now, we're here because uh, you're a comedy writer, of course, co-creator of Totally Biased with Kamal Bell. Mm-hmm. How's that going? And then... Great. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> waiting on here on the pickup. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, you, you wrote for Conan. We met on George Lopez. You wrote for Chris Rock Show. You have mm-hmm. an Emmy. You have, in your room, you have a picture of you holding the Emmy and the Emmy. Well, so you know, where, am I, where else am I going to... Uh, hang that photo. That is Anywhere true. else it would look insane. Right. I don't have it like in the front hall of my house. You walk in to Stately Sklar Manor and see a cabinet of awards. I have it in a small corner of my office. I hate it, but your office, unfortunately, for this thing is in the front of your house. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's that's true. not my design. But you starred in Tomorrow Night, which is written and directed by Louis C.K. and that's just right. re released it on his website. I know. For $5. Because you realize at this point in his career, that white people will buy anything on his website for five dollars. So he went through his garage. He found some reels. I know he just slapped that shit together, and now it's. I don't. You know, I actually don't know how it's selling. We should I, figure that out. We should. Well, I wonder how the opening weekend was for <laughs> on tomorrow night. Computers. You guys work together, Conan. Is that how you guys got together on this? I know Louis from. We started out doing stand up together, way back in the late 80s and actually I started in Chicago and I moved to Boston in 89 and Louis was already there and he'd been probably doing stand-up for four years or so even though he was maybe 21 at the time we met we, we you know we were friends there we did stand-up together and then about four years later we were working on Conan together Louis was there before I was there and he suggested to Conan when they were looking for someone to write the monologue that I would be good was so, that your first writing job? That was my second writing job. I was writing for the Bill Maher show, Politically Incorrect. And they said no. <laughs> they, oh, really? They read my stuff. But then later, I resubmitted. When they, when they, the person they hired didn't work out, they were looking for someone to replace him. And I just said, well, I'm not going to do another packet, but here's my Bill Maher jokes. And they hired me. Well, how did the movie come about? Let's see. So that was in 97 is when we shot the film. And basically what happened is Louie and I were then working together on the Chris Rock show. It was the first season, and Louie had an idea for a movie. And it was just based on this guy who owned a camera store in the village. It was a very surly, antisocial guy that didn't seem to want even want your business. He'd rather have you be out of the store. That's how long ago it was. There was camera stores. And they did film developing as well. Film developing there, yeah, yes. Yeah. So... He goes, I, he says, I think you'd be good playing this guy, and I want to write a movie about this guy. 
Could you go take a look at him and see what you think? Oh, this is a real person. Real guy. Oh, wow. So I go, yeah, actually, I need to buy a camera. I'll go and buy a camera <laughs> from him, and then I'll find out what he's all about. So I do that. I buy a camera, and he's a very terse guy, and he doesn't look you in the eye, and he's just an ass. And I, um, I walk out of there, and I go, yeah, I can play that guy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Did no he problem. Yell at you? Did he talk? No, to you? he was just very like, I'm buying a camera from him. You know, I'm spending two hundred and fifty, three hundred dollars in his store that no one else is in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can barely feign interest in my wanting a camera. You know, he, you're the only customer there. I'm the only customer, and it's funny what a curmudgeon he is. And uh, I, you know, I walk out of there, and he's, and I say to Louie, who was actually standing there with Mark Marin, because we were all friends, and I go, yeah, that guy's uh, kind of an asshole. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can handle this. <laughs> were you insulted that he asked you to play this asshole? No, no, no. not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so then later, the later in the week or the month, I don't remember exactly. Louie said, uh, "Do you want to write this script with me?" I went, "Sure." So, and we'd written one movie together earlier in the early 90s. So That'll be released on his website for $5. Oh, yeah, yeah that, just, just the script. So I sat down with him in his uh, living room or something one afternoon Sunday, and we were working on the Chris Rock show at the time. And he goes, yeah, so what I was thinking is, it started out, he's in the, he's in the camera shop, and he just starts reading. And, and I go, okay. And then, you know, we first scenes is just about a guy who's, who's kind of an ass and you just see that demonstrated and then Louis goes out of the blue he goes what if he goes home drops his pants and sits in a giant bowl of ice cream it did seem out of the blue it was crazy I'm like uh I don't know what if (laughs) that doesn't really jibe with me as a thing that would happen but uh okay anyway Shortly thereafter, I think we got dinner or something, and I never participated in writing the movie again. <laughs> Did you just kind of back off of it? Yeah. I didn't really... I was like, I think Louie has a plan. Uh-huh. <laughs> he has something he wants to write. I don't have any investment in it. It's not my movie, and I'm going to... He'll write it, and that'll be that. Was there an explanation for why your character sits in a bowl of ice cream every night and gets off on it? No, but I will say this. Louie has another film that he made about five or six years before that called Caesar's Salad. And in it, and I was in that too. I played a photographer. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough. Not a guy that owns a camera store, a photographer with a sexy girlfriend who's like a go-go dancer played by Laura Keitlinger. And my whole, my character is I take pictures of her. Her name is Lola. And I take pictures of paint that I've poured in toilets and I flush the toilet and then it looks like a kaleidoscope. And I am talking very pretentiously about these stupid photos uh-huh. and how my dream is to go to below the equator where the toilets flush the other way and take those kind of pictures. Anyway, in that film, Caesar Salad, Louis has a cameo appearance. And he's a guy who sits on a birthday cake and starts crying. Now, does Louis have, is there a, you know, some theme of like sitting in dessert <laughs> and having it be some sort of release, whether it's emotional or sexual? Right. I don't know. I couldn't say, but I would say that there might be some evidence for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you- if I was an armchair psychiatrist, I might make something of that. But anyway, 
I, I just went, you know, that's tomorrow night, whatever this movie is that he wants, that he has in his head is his movie. So I'm, I don't, I just didn't feel like I was meant to really be writing it. I think he just asked me to write it with him initially because he wasn't sure where he was going, but then he, he got his, a toehold on it and that was it. Figured it out. <laughs> yeah. So in the, in the film, you, you sit in the ice cream, you're a dick to everybody and yeah. the, your motivation is what? In this film, well, I think that um, the way that I saw it, he's a you know he's a misanthropic character, and he's also sort of a super neat freak OCD order guy, mm-hmm. which is drives the the narrative of the film because he wants to get rid of all these photos that people have not picked up. This is when you had photos that you had to pick up, and he has this bin of photos, and it just drives him nuts, and it leads him to meeting all these other characters that move this the plot along why this guy is such a prick that i you know that i understand <laughs> because people are difficult to deal with and and uh, i think it's a misanthropic character i can understand that i don't i don't think i'm a misanthrope but i understand it <laughs> so you get where that. it's coming from yeah absolutely now why does he then go home and sit in ice cream that you'd have to ask louis and i don't really think that he would give you an answer but I think, to me, it's sort of, I just think it's interesting that the guy's a neat freak, and then he goes home and he has this supposedly master, masturbation ritual that is extremely dirty in the mo- and most, you know, nasty, sticky, and and then, you know, like, so clearly somehow his uh, sex, his, the part of his brain that is sexual is very... It's as it's as fetishistic as his uh, his being a neat freak. It's just all it's like the opposite. Well, so you sat in the ice cream. No, no. Who cares about the theory? Let's talk about you sitting in ice cream. Okay, let's talk about it because you did it. I did do that. Here's what happened. Um, It was literally the first day of filming, and I think Louis thought, "Let's shoot this first because and get it out of the way because it's going to be weird, and maybe it will also." get me in the frame of mind of the character. Uh, who knows? So, fine. So, we, we're... It's the first day. We're going... We're shooting in Louis' apartment mm-hmm. with his... I think he was... No, he was not married then. His fiance in his apartment. And so, we're there and uh, Louis goes, so listen, I think, um, you know, what you'll do is you'll, take, you'll drop your pajama bottoms and you'll, you'll sit in this ice cream. And, you know, we may or may, you know, not see your penis. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, we're not, I'm not exposing myself on film. That's preposterous. That's crazy. And so then he told the wardrobe person, who was also the art director, because it was a very low budget, from Amy Silver, who he still works with on the show Louie, and she's great. He said, get somebody to get Chuck something to, you know, hold his junk up. (laughs) So I had some, I think something called a dance belt uh-huh. that held me together. So the scene is thus that there's a gigantic bowl of ice cream. of It's Neapolitan. It's strawberry, chocolate, vanilla. And it is scooped out of a, the boxes of ice cream that used to get those square, those rectangular boxes of ice cream that now, you know, no one has because, I mean, probably you still can get them, but mm-hmm. everyone has the more the Haagen-Dazs. This was that old style. So, and it's a gigantic steel bowl. It's that, huge. Huge. Saying? It's like that you would make industrial size 
you know, coleslaw in. Yeah. yeah, whatever. So, okay. So, <laughs> so, and it's placed on this wooden chair. And there's like a, and the scene is that I put on a record on a, this old Victrola. And I turn the volume up, which you do by opening the door of the Victrola because there's no actual volume. And then I slowly, I drop my pants, take off my glasses, put them in my pocket, which he captured really well in film, all the little details of mm-hmm. the ritual. Ritual. And by the way, the funny thing is that somebody said at some point, well, this, so when Chuck's jerking off and Louie's like, what do you mean? It's not, this is not masturbating. Um, okay. <laughs> I lower myself into the ice cream and it's, I can feel <laughs> the icy frost wafting up my tuchus. And then, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is going to be awful. But I'm doing it, you know, so I sit in it and I lower myself and I get lower, lower. And, you know, I'm not really acting so much as I am reacting to <laughs> ice cold ice cream. And uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I get in down in there and writhing around and and having, you know, a, a you know, some sort of an orgasmic experience. So do you try to get to the orgasm quicker so you don't sit in the ice cream long enough? How long are you in the ice cream? Once you're in it, it kind of doesn't matter because you know what? You're numb. Because <laughs> you get ice cream up your behind and you're just like, wow, this is not this is not reasonable. <laughs> now, I think that we might have done a couple of takes. Oh. Because and then but but I, maybe only one. I think actually now that I'm thinking about it, there was only one take that was pure like a money shot where I'm you know, smashing down into ice cream. And then the rest of it was like, you know, I didn't, there wasn't actually ice cream in the bowl because I was, you know, he was shooting my head or whatever, the back of me, whatever. So, although, you know, now that I think about it, I think there was probably, there was probably uh, two angles, probably had to do both sides of me because there's shots from behind and I'm riding around in it and you could see ice cream splashing out of it. And let me tell you something, that's not CGI. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have the budget for that? No. No. Now, so so let's say I twice sat down in ice cream and by the end of it, I was like, all right, I feel like I've been raped. I need a hot shower. So, okay, it's over. Moving on. And then um, a few days go by, maybe a week. We shoot a couple of other scenes. Then I have to go to Mark Marin's wedding, his first wedding. Louis also going there. I'm there with my fiance, and Louis and his has just become engaged to his girlfriend. Now he says to me, "Listen, I have something to tell you, and it's going to upset you." And I go, "What?" He goes. Well, the film was not loaded incorrectly, and we are going to, and I just watched it, and I was waiting because I realized the film had not been loaded incorrectly later in the day, but I wanted to see the rushes, and now that I've seen them, I can see it's, the film is not exposed properly, and we have to reshoot that scene, and I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. You're joking, right? You've got to be kidding. It's funny. It's good. You're good. He goes, no, but the good news is you don't actually have to sit in the ice cream. But I, from what I could see, because when you sit in it, you're lowering your ass over it. Mm-hmm. You can't actually see whether or not there's ice cream in it. So we don't need to see that. So you didn't need to do it in the first place. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I go, wow, okay, so be it. Uh-huh. 
And, uh, you know, it was a weird um, experience. I mean, it was kind of like shooting a sex scene because, you know, you're not really having sex. You're not really masturbating, but you're you're behaving as you were. But you're actually sitting in ice cream with them the first time. I was actually sitting in ice cream, so I know what that's like. You're balls it's deep. Not good. No. I was balls deep. Yeah, that's a good... <laughs> So let's talk about the other people in the, in the movie. Uh, J.B. Smooth. J.B. Smooth is great, and I had a hard time not cracking up in the scenes that I. Had He's exactly him. that way now. Yeah. On all the other shows, like a lot of people, you see them kind of develop who they are now. But uh, he was exactly the way he he does every other role. Yeah, he's very. Um... He's uninhibited. He's just is letting it. She's just shooting from the hip, and he's really funny. He's hilariously funny. What he's trying to when he's trying to be funny, he's funny, and when he's not trying to be funny, he's funny. It's an incredible uh, math equation. Right. He's trying to be sympathetic sometimes, and he's just as funny. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he's the male, the wacky mailman that wants you to get laid and have a good time. Yeah, and he just has a funny look about him and a funny way of saying everything. And was he? How did you guys meet him? Was he on Chris Rock? No, uh, Louis. Saw him in a club, and like while he while we were shooting the movie, or while while he was in pre production of the movie, and he said, "You know what? I'm going to write a part for this guy. He's hilarious." Oh, there wasn't even that. It was not part? in the. He was not written. That part was not written until he met JB, and that's what Louis says about the movie in general: is that he wrote the parts for different people that he thought. Like the me with the guy, the asshole. Right, That's thanks. how he feels about me. <laughs> and um, Robert Smigel and Steve Carell, I guess, you know, obviously he knew them and worked with them at, on the uh, Dana Carvey show. That was a weird... That was a weird... The idea that these two army guys... Am I overanalyzing this movie? That they, they steal the mail from this guy just for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Because they think it's funny. I mean, they make it work, too. Steve Carell... They it's make it work. It's now. extremely, basically, they're complete dicks. Horrible, horrible people. They're horrible people. And it's that's what a lot of the movie is about, is about, to me, it's about what a brutal world it is. I think the only non-bad person is the old lady and her son. Right. I mean, you're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you don't kill her, but you kind of, you're not upset when she dies. No. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, Spoiler alert, a 90-year-old woman. <laughs> drops dead. Yes. Who's the weird old guy that plays her husband? He was an actor that Louis had cast on Conan in a few things. And in fact, what he played was in the very first episode of Conan, Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Conan comes out and he goes, thanks, everybody. It's very exciting to be here. And then an old man goes, you better be as good as Letterman. <laughs> and that was him. Were you there? When did you get hired? I was hired after about six weeks. Did you watch the show at all for the first six weeks, even of though course. they didn't hire you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was actually went to a taping. You're a better man than me. It was hard. I, it was hard. I went. I had been rejected from a job on the writing staff. Whatever. Now, looking back then, I was ready to kill myself. Now I realize, like, that's just how it goes. But... We were, we were ready to kill yourself anyway, and then the job thing? So then, well, no, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was, you know, doing stand-up. And uh -huh. then I was asked to submit. I wrote some jokes for the monologue. I had no idea how to write jokes for a television show. Do you think they were good enough to get hired? Now you look back at No, it. they were no. horrible. Uh -huh. And um, <laughs> horrible. You didn't know that at the time. And then I got hired at the Bill Maher show 
you know, and uh, was worked there for a while. And uh, then I resubmitted, as I said. Yeah, real guy. jokes. That... I actually had learned how I learned how to write jokes. <laughs> Who taught you to write jokes? Was it somebody? It was just like you write jokes and the only ones that get done are the few that you stumbled into writing a good joke. So then you go, I'm going to write more like these. Because <laughs> you're like a little too, you know, when I first was writing for TV, I was a little too like, well, I write jokes for my act and uh, I'm very careful. And there are a certain kind of a joke. That's not really how you write. You know, you get, you need volume, meaning I crank out a lot of jokes to get a couple of good ones that are going to appeal to the host. You know, it's just... Do you write? You just write a joke, and it doesn't matter who. If it's for Bill Maher or Conan, it's the same. Like, Bill no, no, like, you definitely write differently for different people. Uh-huh. But I didn't really know that then. I only know how to write for me, right. and I was not good. <laughs> <laughs> but I was not an idiot, so I started to figure it out because I wanted to keep a job and get a job and so on and so forth. So then you get on Conan. What was the feeling of Conan when you were there the first couple of years? Oh, well, there was this feeling generally of we're going to be canceled any minute. We're going to be, you know, this is it. Oh, I just got picked up for another 13 weeks. That's good because if the show gets canceled next week, I'll get paid out. Like, it was like that. Right. So you get paid. You don't know. You get paid on a 13-week cycle. Right. So you get paid no matter what. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we were all thinking, like, this could go away tomorrow. And we would have, like, um, powwows with Conan where he would say, Hey, I don't know if they're going to pull the plug tomorrow, but we're going to go out swinging and do the best job we can, blah, 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 like that. And and uh, it was, you know, it was touch and go because it was, he was new to doing this kind of thing. And so were a lot of us. It was this sort of like, it was do or die. So you, we were swinging for the fences. All right. So they get back to the film, the other people in there. One in Sykes Hall at the time. Oh, yeah. So you knew her from Chris Rock? Is that how you... Yeah, I met Wanda doing stand-up at the San Francisco Comedy Competition in 1993. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, she and I were doing it the same week. And it was me and her and Ron Lynch, and we were hanging out all the time and driving to the gigs together. And that's how I became friends with her. And then about three years later, three and a half years later, maybe... Chris hired her on the Chris Rock show as a writer and she she was a new writer she'd never worked in TV before as far as I know the funny thing is like a lot of comedians she was not she was insecure and she was like yeah I don't really know what I'm doing here first episode she's on the air sketch she wrote killer <laughs> hilarious thing she's like she's talking to Chris about a very serious problem which is sexual harassment in her workplace men are looking at me they're saying hey honey they're staring at me they won't stop all day every day the same thing what do you do I'm a stripper <laughs> <laughs> and you know that was the that was our standard uh, uh, business model on the Chris Rock show somebody would come in there with some ridiculous claim or complaint and then Chris would eventually uncover that they were a complete moron right. <laughs> were you on air on that show at all I was on air a little bit uh-huh. yeah Tom and played the white man Tom P- Agna played white guy uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and they would have a panel of three people black dude white guy 
and Wanda, I don't forget what Wanda's character was named, like sister or something. Hi. That was fun. I'm Lola. I came to pick up my photos. You called? Yes. There's a discount today. Whatever. 24%. Whatever! I'll be one moment. Miss Lola Vagina? That's me. I'm Lola. And this is my vagina! That'll be $14.75. Did you look at my picture? Excuse me? Did you look at my dirty pictures? I don't look at people's photos. That would be unethical. Well, you're missing out then. Believe me. Say, why don't you come over sometime? And I'll show you some real dirty pictures, picture man! I don't think that would be appropriate. Well, you've got the number. So long, Bart! And then Rick Shapiro is in this film. Rick is great in the movie. He plays an old lady. He plays a... Yeah, seemingly an old lady. It's Rick Shapiro clearly with five o'clock, heavy five o'clock <laughs> shadow and a ridiculous wig. And he's just doing this great character that's, that we all accept as some old Jewish lady in New York uh -huh. and um, who's friends with uh, my wife, my the woman who becomes my wife, the old lady, the actual old lady old played by Martha Greenhouse. And where is she from? The late Martha Greenhouse. Martha was a really good actress, and I learned a lot by working with her because she was so focused in this relaxed way. And she told me a secret of acting. She said, um, just say how you want to feel to yourself, how the character is feeling before you do the lines, and you will, it will it'll read in your face. Oh, really? Now, I'm not saying that that worked for me, but it did do, it gave me something to do that was um, different than I would have done. It gave you confidence to just do the part. Yeah. Do you know how she got cast or where she's from? Uh, she got cast. It was very interesting. There was a, someone else who was playing that part before her, and we shot a couple of scenes. Together in, or? Me and her. Uh-huh. This other old woman who had been... I think she had been some, like a well-known stage actress, but I mean like 45 years earlier. And now she was in her mid to late 70s. Anyway, she didn't work out. There was a scene, we did a couple of scenes. She didn't really have the lines down. She It, it seemed like maybe she wasn't... Um, up to remembering lines it was un, it was i'm not sure but it just was it was sad because she was very nice but we we uh louis recast her and um so knowing lines is important 
when you're at. <laughs> it helps. Uh-huh. It helps. Louis then I he cast for Martha Greenhouse. He cat you know he he looked at actor. He read actresses, just like anybody would. And Martha was great. And she had, you know, done a lot of different parts. And she was in a Woody Allen movie years ago. I think she was in Bananas, playing Woody Allen's therapist, maybe. Mm-hmm. And she was terrific, as anybody who could t- see, the, see the movie can test. She is great. When the lines were, are, are like, just over the top, telling the audience what's going on. I'm upset. My husband's mean to me. Yes. He's mean to me. I'm upset. He's yeah. mean to me, and but she's so good at it. It's she's, it's bizarre. Yes, yeah. it's it's like that should be too like. Where's the subtext? Nope, nope no subtext. No, none yeah. at all. It's <laughs> yeah. like a short film. Like let's get this out right away. That her problem is that her husband beat <clears throat> her, and she doesn't know where her son is, and then she needs somebody. I never saw you guys again. Spoiler: alert, but mm. your character and her getting together. Right, but then we collide in a very interesting way, and I she appeals to me because she keeps a very nice house. Uh-huh. When I go to her house, she's one of the people that has not picked up her photos because her husband is so mean and won't give her any money. And I go, listen, I just want these photos out of here. I'll bring them to you. Where do you live? So I go there. Then I go in, and I fall in love with her because of the doilies that she places on her things. Like, she's... <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm a, you know, strange bird. And there's like a five minute sex scene between the two of you. There's not. No. I just thought I'd throw that out there. There is a sex scene between her and her husband before she meets me. That uh-huh. is very unpleasant. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the greatest. Well, yeah, he's not the greatest guy either. He's not a very sensitive lover. Let's just say that. When this film was done, when did you watch the whole thing for the first time? Um... That's a good question. I remember that there was a screening at the HBO screening room at 6th and 42nd Street. Uh, you know, Louis had had a good... You know, we were working at the Chris Rock show at the time, so that was, I think, how he swung that. And that's, the I think, the first time that I saw the whole film. And there was a lot of... It was a packed crowd. Who was there? Like, what type of people? Conan was there, for example. Um, everybody, a number of people that are in the film, like Smigel was there. A lot of everybody from the Chris Rock show was there. Like Lance Crowther, I remember, was there, and Ali mm-hmm. Leroy, and Chris, and Jeff Stilson. And I don't remember who else. And I had a date. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't with the same woman? No, I was no, I was not seeing the star. For, like, the press. Like, they sometimes... What do you mean? The star of the film, Martha. The old lady? Yes. You weren't dating her anymore? No. That didn't not. work out? Was it just an on-set it romance? It was just an on-screen romance. Oh. Because, you know, you guys spent a lot of time together in a trailer. That's true. It's kind of these will These things will go to the grave with me. Now, unfortunately, Martha passed away a few years ago. Uh-huh. But I talked to her, I think, in 2008... I, I was in New York and I was working on a show on CNN with D.L. Hughley and I wanted to cast an old lady and I she was the only one that I knew so I tracked her down and she t- called me back on the phone and we had a very nice conversation but she said I'm really not mobile anymore and I can't do it I'm sorry wow. but it was, she was very nice and talented so. and does she have any good memories of the film did she oh my god she came the film was Selected to go to Sundance. Really? The uh, 
Wow. Midnight movie category, like cultish kind sure. of films, which it was. And uh, <laughs> she came. She and her old husband, uh-huh. who's a super nice guy, no jealousy, um, <laughs> came. They were out there in the middle of the winter. And this movie, is, by the way, it's premiering at Sundance at midnight. And it's like five degrees outside. Mm-hmm. And we're walking on these walk, these icy covered walks. And it's going into a theater that had about 14 people. And 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 then the bunch of us that had come from the movie, like Louis' managers and stuff like that. And me mm-hmm. and Louis and Louis' uh, fiance or wife. And the funny thing is, the night before, we went, we went to the midnight movie the night before our movie mm-hmm. to see to to be supportive to the other films in our category and like you know see what was going on and what what to expect places packed the the people that were in the movie that were involved in the movie production all had t-shirts like they were made up <laughs> and and it was like uh and the movie was horrible and it was a, supposedly a comedy in the vein of like it was somehow like Quentin Tarantino meets Mammoth because it's like a very macho like guys and they were working in a used car lot and they all swear a lot and it's all like you know do you know what it's called? no I wouldn't I'm not gonna I wouldn't besmirch the the filmmaker but it was just like not good and Mm -hmm. not good and didn't do well and it was very long and it was like terrible for a midnight movie to be long it was bad and we went, well, we were all like, well, at least our movie is short and funny. That's just sit in the box. And, but we were kind of like, wow, this is, a lot of people come to these things. Well, it turns out that they had just, you know, promoted the shit out of their movie. Yeah. And we were, you know, we had a few flyers that we were stapling on snow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we were doing. You know, there was, it wasn't this concentrated effort backed by whatever, you know, ICM or something right. that was behind the, the that particular writer director that was that was it so 14 people what was the reaction from the uh, people Sabonis? liked it there was a guy there from time magazine and he goes wow this is the best film i've seen at the at the festival oh cool and i'm going to write an article about it and we went that's amazing and then that week monica Lewinsky scandal broke and there was no coverage <laughs> of sundance in time magazine no. <laughs> none <laughs> oh man that's an apocryphal story that was said those all those things happened he did say that that doesn't mean it would have really, he would have really written about our movie he might have just been being nice who knows but uh you know that was disappointing and you know other nice people said nice things about it for example louis told me harvey weinstein said i love this movie i wish i could buy it but it's too weird i where am i going to distribute it who's going to see it it's too crazy did that lead to pootie tang his next film or did it lead to Pootie Tang? No. Pootie Tang was based solely on... Louis wrote a sketch for the Chris Rock show, Pootie Tang. And uh, he then wrote several other sketches with Pootie Tang in it. And even then made it like a short, like a, a filmed remote version. Like a, I think it was a Pootie Tang E! True Hollywood story <laughs> that he did for the final season of the Chris Rock show. Uh-huh. And then, you know, at some point... He went, I'm going to do, I'm going to write a movie. And uh, he did. Were you involved in that movie at all? No. No. You learned your lesson. You got out. 
I will have nothing to do with any dessert <laughs> items or Louis. You were in that movie shoving an eclair up your ass. Yeah, that you know, you? things happen. <laughs> Could you imagine you watched that movie and somebody else was doing that? I a younger be, guy? I would be very I would be very traumatized. Chuck <laughs> <laughs> Sklar type. I don't want to be typecast, but I don't want to be... Right. You don't, don't give them food. <laughs> yeah. Food out of your mouth, I mean. Yeah. The camera shop that you guys use, was that the guy's camera shop? No, but I, I actually think Louis tried to rent his shop to shoot the film. Uh-huh. And the guy said, and, they, and it was going to happen. And then I think the guy, being that guy, went, no, I don't want this here. Fuck this. <laughs> and we, I think we had to scramble. We found a great camera shop that was down, like, around Dwayne Street. And it was down there in the below Tribeca or something. It was beautiful. It looked really good. Yeah. What was your reaction to seeing yourself sitting on ice cream for the first time? Um, because uh, because doing it was so kind of weird, seeing it was just like, oh, that's a sketch. I just I was like, it's silly. There I am pretending to, you know, sit in ice cream, pretending to have an orgasm, whatever. Right. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I didn't... I didn't. I wasn't like, oh, it's so embarrassing. It's like a funny, weird scene. It's a funny, weird scene. That's, that's the movie, yeah. <laughs> that would be, you know, and people really liked the movie. Were very complimentary to me, and there was a lot of people like, how did you remain so stoic and calm? And I go, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's one part in the movie where I am just about to crack up. And I'm sure I did as soon as Louis said cut because uh-huh. it's JB and he's like not just being funny, but he's like leaning on me and yelling in my face. And I'm like supposed to be acting like, how dare you, sir? I'm not that sort of a person that engages in this kind of frivolity. Yeah, it's really <laughs> and, weird. And but of course, I'm a, I'm an easy laugh. <laughs> so were you surprised to see that it's re-released or? Well, no, it's been brewing for a few years. Like, oh, yeah? like I heard about a few years ago, some lawyer called me and said, this movie's going to be released. You need to sign this and sign that, and then you'll be paid this. Did you want to do any more acting after that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like acting. I actually learned, I, I was, I learned a lot doing that part. What'd you learn? Um, I learned that <laughs> when you're acting, I think one thing that I do in life, or I should say in life, I don't think I engage enough with people. But when you're acting, you really have to, and it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. So I, because I'm shy, you know, somewhat in mm-hmm. life, but when you're acting, even if you're playing a shy person, you really have to get and not be afraid to just be like confront a person, even if it's not like an actual uh, fight scene. Like you're it's a you engage them. So but yes, is there a little bit of me in that character? Sure. Of course. And you you were in Louis show. You played um... Osama bin Laden. Right. That came about because I look a little bit like Osama bin Laden. Some would say a lot <laughs> like him. And in fact, I've used that before to comic effect. 
in my uh there's something I have on YouTube called Come to the Net, uh-huh. which is a show that I made with John Ennis, a little pilot that I made with John Ennis. And also Whitney Cummings is in it, and Ron Lynch, and Jeremy Sklar, my brother. And Did your brother direct it? No, I directed it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like I was like a little bit of a Clint Eastwood. I was the oh, lead. I was the writer, director, whoa, whoa. and star. Unbelievable. Yeah. Little Clint with little Tom Wiseau. Yeah. Little, little both. So, little, it's called Control Freak. <laughs> and, um, I want it like this, so I'll do it like this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's funny. It's it's also short, so. There's a lot of good people in it, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, Whitney's great in it. She plays my much too young girlfriend. Uh-huh. <laughs> She went the Woody Allen route. <clears throat> yeah. Why did you guys would uh, Whitney? Why did I ask Whitney? I knew her, and I thought she would be. She was a sexy young woman, and I thought she would be funny in the part, and she really was. Yeah, she, she was really funny. She's underratedly funny. Yeah, I think she's great. And uh, have any acting coming up now? Uh, no. Do you want to no. talk about your pilot at all, or you want to keep? I'm doing stand up again. Which is really fun. I did it the other night. How did that go over there? It went great. Yeah? Actually, yeah. What was the joke you you wanted to try? Uh, The joke I said was, listen, this whole Woody Allen controversy's got me very upset. I'm obviously a huge Woody Allen fan, but when I look at all the facts, I got to come to this conclusion. I'm never going to watch a Woody Allen movie again. But I'm never going to watch a Woody Allen movie again under one condition only. Lena Dunham agrees to stop being naked on girls. Because that, that's too much. How did that go over in that hipster audience? Downtown? Half the crowd liked it. <clears throat> half the crowd hated me. <laughs> <clears throat> but I, you know, I, I, pulled, I pulled my way out. You brought him back. I dug a hole. Uh-huh. And then I got out. That's, that's fine. I was worried about the, you telling that joke downtown. In the, I know. The cool. I know. Hip- the, but the, I didn't just go up there and open with it. You didn't open with that. And then go you open with your age joke. I, I yeah. <laughs> I didn't say in your face, motherfucker. You uh, sucks at lattes anyway, <laughs> and orphans. No, you know I I put it in as one of my jokes, and it was, uh, I would say probably not my best material, but you know. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to say it? Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, because I was like, I think this is funny. I think it's not, you know, it's basically, you know what it is? It's a mashup of things that are in the popular news and popular culture right now. Oh, well, that's what a lot of uh, monologue jokes are. Uh Like, hey, you know, there's a blizzard out there. And the punchline is Snooki (laughs) must have, uh, you know, opened her legs, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... It kills me. Bieber is the one now. Snooki, when you and I worked together, Snooki was the... Uh, Snooki was huge. Bieber is because of the arrest, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. constantly. And you just see it in bits and in stuff. And it... I what, just was... Do you agree with that? You think that works? Do I think that works? Yes, I do. So you you approve? I mean, because... Yes, I approve of it. I will, what, what if I didn't? What would that change? <laughs> I don't know. I know. I mean, when you're writing, you know, when you're like... Do you think that it's cheating or something? Because it's not actually funny. It's just using the energy of this other thing. I think it can be that. I think, yes. I think artistically in a bigger level, like in a stand-up club or a one-hour special or something. But if you're writing jokes every single night... Let me tell you a joke that um, was done once by George Lopez. 
He goes, um, the number one movie at the box office this weekend was The Green Hornet. Um, uh, the number two movie, Snooky's movie, The the Orange Whore. <laughs> now, this joke utterly destroyed, like, pandemonium. And there was a huge, loud laugh that was like a 10 seconds long. Uh-huh. Now, in reality, is that really that funny? I wrote the joke, by the way. I just wrote it. I go, I think that'll work. In that, the formula of, of... Yeah, that's a yeah. formula of, like, here's a news story, and then here's plugging in some some pop culture reference as the punchline. Uh-huh. And it... It worked. <laughs> and it was funny. I mean, it was the funny. Is fun. Do you think if you didn't say horror, it would be as funny? No. Yeah. No, it was... It was... Well, you know, she's a little... Yeah. Kind of a... Her reputation was to be a little bit of a tramp. And she was orange. She was certainly orange. I I, the most unbelievable thing to me is that the Green Hornet was the number one movie. <laughs> <laughs> that part's hard to That's the unbelievable part. I agree. Yeah. Do you, have you ever used jokes that didn't make it on the air for your stand-up? Or is that just a felt? Is that just a, something you think you'll do and you never do? Uh, I think I remember one time I did a joke, which was that I wrote for Conan. And the joke was, it's St. Patrick's Day. And it was St. Patrick's Day. And, of course... Here in New York, we're practicing that old Irish tradition, homophobia. <laughs> and because the because there was this thing about how they weren't going to let gay groups march in the St. Patty's Parade. Right. So Conan liked the joke, but then he's like, you know what? And it was like the first joke out of the gate. And it was sort of because it was St. Patrick's Day and the whole, whole midtown was all... St. Patty'd up. You kind of had to address it. He goes, "I don't want to. I don't want to open the show with a downer like that." And it is a downer. It's sort of saying, "Oh yeah, people are jerks and they're being homophobic." And I go, "Okay, don't worry about it." <laughs> you know, obviously it's your show. Do what you like. And I went and did the joke, and um, it did well actually. But he's not wrong in that situation. No, he is right. Yeah, it's like right. it wasn't. It, it felt weird. Now, it would have been different if we had doing five minutes on St. Patrick's Day and slipped that in there. It'd be mm-hmm. different. It'd be, but to just do that, yeah, I understand why you didn't want to do that. You're not really writing for yourself, right? You're writing for this bigger thing. Not even just yeah. Conan. Yeah, and I was, by thing. that time, starting to realize that. <laughs> Is that one of the things yeah. that woke you up? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it was just sort of like... At a certain point, it's sometimes... When I first started writing for TV... And I had a joke that I liked. And if someone didn't want to do it, I was like, what the fuck? And, and then event, but then eventually you're like, whatever. <laughs> you know, Lopez is like that, right? Lopez knew yeah. to pick what worked for him. Right. Did he pick all the jokes or did you guys give him the jokes he did it? Oh, no. George would pick the jokes. I mean, we would write a lot of jokes. What I would do is I would take the jokes that me and three or four other writers had written. Mm-hmm. Mostly you. No. Oh. <laughs> They're not here. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it was all me. No, yeah. no, I would actually was more interested in getting other voices in there because I'm writing it all day. So I'm whether I'm if I had a joke that I loved, I would put it in there. But, you know, you were the head writer. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, well, jokes just come up when you're kind of working with it all day. That's just like I wasn't concerned about getting my licks in, I guess. Uh-huh. So. So I would pick I would take like maybe 25 to 30 jokes out of the hundreds we had and make put them in some kind of order that because George liked to be see a script a potential script 
and then pick from that. So we winnow it down to maybe 17 or 18 jokes out of 25 or 30. And then we would also write new jokes in the room. George would write great jokes or tags or whatever. And or five minute hunks because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just really, time. you know, he would just he was he would say, I'm going to tee off on that. And he would. And it was, you know, he would really kill. Um, that was fun to write for him because he would do that. Yeah. And you, you said that if a joke's funny, do the funny joke and then throw and then tag it. Yeah. Throw out the not-so-funny jokes. Yeah, you don't need... Well, that was the thing. That was one thing that I learned about writing for him because he George never wanted to go up there and do one joke like he would say, like a Jay Leno. Uh-huh. And um, so he would want to have a little, you know, even if it was two or three jokes, it would be like a minute, minute to two minutes of material on a topic. So, nah, you know minute to a minute and a half it's it, it would depend but again if you would tee off on it it might be end up being five minutes we found like it's like oh then we would have like oh we'd all write jokes on the same topics and then i'd have like maybe like 12 good jokes but how many of them are really great and if you're doing five or six jokes on a topic you're burning through people's interest in a topic and the surprise of what's funny about it so by the time you get to the you definitely want to save the best one for last mm-hmm but then if you doing five or six and then you get to this last one, it's like, hey, we've been through, we've run around the bases on this premise a few times. So let's just, then you find, you just do one joke and then a great one and then tag it, make up the, make up the time and, and on the other side. It's but better. capitalizing on the actual laugh. Yeah. 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 Do you remember the one joke that stands out that you've written for anybody? The one that comes to your mind? Um... <laughs> the the orange horror because of the enormity of the response. They were shooting confetti cannons in the audience. They were throwing people around. It was, it was like weird. a soccer goal. It was kind of scary. Someone yelled goal. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> of how loud the response was and how long it lasted, it was like, wow. That was it was kind of wild. But I mean, do I remember let me think. Certainly there's a lot of jokes that I I actually just wrote a joke for Chris Rock that's going to be in his new movie. I'm not going to say it because it's. Uh, did you did you um, did you fly out to look at the film, take a pass at the film? He, he had Neil he had Neil Brennan and some other people. Yeah, come in and I was part of that. Yeah, can you talk about what that what he does? Because well, you know, now Chris likes to get you know so other comedy brains involved, and so he will ask people to read a script or he'll ask people to look at a cut and just see how is that working for you and you know that kind of thing i don't necessarily want to say what chris does or doesn't do but uh you know he's a guy he's brilliantly funny so he's really secure and he is not he was welcomes other voices that he respects their input and uh it's really very fruitful i think his new movie is going to be amazing Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. Well, thank you very much, Chuck. Of course. I, don't I could tell any more secrets. Do you know his <laughs> PIN number? <laughs> <laughs> What's his AOL code? The password. You got it. All right, thanks. Prowlersends, prowlersends.com. And uh, listen to older episodes and other interviews if you like this one. And if you like this one, put it on Facebook or Twitter. Let people know. All right, thanks. Thank you.
Adam, that, we're, we're out of time for this interview. If you're still listening to this, you're probably a lot like me. You're the kind of person who stays through the end credits of a movie. I like you. Um, just consider this your little Easter egg. Here it is. Testing, one, two. Yeah, go ahead. You can speak towards this, this guy right there. Well, Adam, let me tell you about how it all started for me. How did it all start for you? I don't know. It hasn't actually started yet. <laughs> when is it going to start? Uh, let's Any just... second, right about, not quite yet. And that's it. I was waiting for the now. You said oh, not quite yet. It's no, not good. quite yet. Now, you know, um, so here we are. So it's Prowlersends, Prowlersends.com. I'm here with Chuck Scalar. Hold on one second. What's the name of the show? Proudly resents. Proudly resent. Proudly resents. Yes. Okay. Who so, who proudly resents? We proudly resent uh, oh, tomorrow night. Got it. It comes from uh, Mad Magazine. Oh. They Mad Magazine. <laughs> okay. They presented this movie made by Robert Downey Sr. called Up the Academy, and it was like a Porky's ripoff. Uh-huh. And it was so terrible that they eventually took their name off of it. I remember that. I watched it. I saw it in the theater with my cousins. And you were excited. And it was so bad, except for one scene where Barbara Bach is a teacher and she's topless or something. Right. Besides that. And it doesn't make uh, much sense. It's no. completely weird. And Alfred E. Newman is in it. He is? He appears, like, suddenly, like, there's a guy... It's like an academy, like a military school or something. Right. And unrelated to anything in the fucking ridiculous plot that doesn't exist. Not really. Is suddenly there's a guy off in the distance. He's, it's like, maybe he's like pissing in the river or something. And then he turns his head and we see that it's this cartoon head of Alfred E. Newman. And it looks completely like not real and it's ridiculous and not funny at all <laughs> and very creepy. That was the movie. that was the best part of the film for you. That was no Barbara Bach. I, oh yeah, of course. I believe it was Barbara Bach, Ringo Starr's wife, then wife, perhaps still. We don't know. We don't know. Star of a caveman the movie. Right. She was a like a teacher. I don't know if she was teaching sex education or if she was just teaching a regular class, but all the boys were just you know, ogling her or so, ogling. They're ogling her. I think it's yeah. ogled, right? <laughs> 